This is Performance Deliver, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered Insider Secrets for Digital Marketing Success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last time when I spoke to Daniel Ingelbretson about account-based marketing. Daniel is the Director of Integrated Marketing at Phononics. Before joining Phononics, Daniel was the Director of Integrated Marketing at Acuity Brands and held multiple demand generation positions. Daniel, welcome back. Hey, Stefan. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be here. During the first episode uh, with you, we spoke about what account-based marketing is and how it has changed over a short period of time. The importance of making sure that sales teams are on board and aligned with the ABM activities, as well as how to avoid being creepy when it comes to designing personalized marketing activities. Today, I want to talk about how a company would go about to get started with ABM, from identifying their targets to measuring success. However, before we talk about that, how to develop an ABM campaign, one thing I didn't, we didn't talk about last time is, Daniel, what is the difference between ABM, so account-based marketing, and inbound marketing? Sure. Um, that's a great question. You know, I think when you think about the activities that a marketer might be doing to generate demand for their business, there's a few different categories, you know, lead gen, demand gen, integrated marketing, inbound marketing, all these different ways that people talk about it. And generally speaking, um, it's usually somewhat defined by what you're measuring and what your business objectives are in the process of doing that and kind of what tactics you might be rolling into that. But inbound to me is very much more about being found you know, or, organically and through other means, you know, and I guess audiences, understanding your audiences and what they're looking for and how they talk or, or think about your product and making sure that you're found where they're looking. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the old adage of, and I'm going to get this wrong, you know, you're seven times more likely to get the deal if they come to you than if you go to them or, or whatever the case is, you know, I've certainly seen that myself, you know, when the, when the contact comes to you, they've already pre-qualified you to an extent, whereas if you're going to them, and maybe not the case. So inbound, typically, in my experience, is kind of more of like a foundational set of activities to help optimize your brand's presence to be found. And that usually makes sense for basically any business that's, that's, that's making a product or service that's, that's known or understood or has a defined need in the market. And it's kind of an especially interesting question for me because what I do today and the company I work for today, we make things that don't exist in the world. And so no one or didn't exist in the world before we made them. And so nobody's looking for them. And so it's, it's an interesting uh, problem that I have because, you know, I come from a background of demand and doing a lot of inbound activities where SEO is a cornerstone of, of what a, a marketer like me would be doing. And I'm still doing it, but its significance is greatly diminished because there is no audience, predefined audience looking for what we make. And I'm not going to get mm -hmm. into the tangent of what Phenonic does, but you know, so that, that actually is an interesting point as to why I even got started on ABM in the first place. But one of the, I guess, one of the things I would say about ABM before, before I fully get down that path 
is where inbound is a set of tactics and a set of activities that you might be doing to be found. Account-based marketing at maturity is a fundamental shift in how how your marketing and sales teams operate, you know, in, in terms of how are you even planning what you're doing and why are you doing what you're doing and how are you measuring what you're doing? And it's, it's not so much just a set of tactics as it is a transformation of how you go about doing. So I can kind of elaborate on that a little bit, but ABM versus inbound, for me, it was really about access to audience and how do you how do i get how do i understand my audience and get access to the audience when that audience doesn't already know who i am or what i do <laughs> so a abm became about about finding and engaging audiences that didn't necessarily know me so can inbound marketing fuel abm well that's a great question and actually even even some of the things we would we would see, and you know, for for the audience, not sure the level of familiarity, but one of the core tactics in in my ABM is programmatic display targeting accounts with with display ads that get your message right in front of where who, who you're trying to target. And some of the things that we uh, hypothesize is that when we put ads out with specific terms in them, like a, like one for example for us is non-hermetic laser packaging. Like that's something that's new to the world that didn't exist before. And we put that term in front of our audience. And so if you were to go look in our SEO tool, what's the search volume for non-hermetic laser packaging is going to be zero when we start this out. But if we start putting ads out in mass in front of target audiences, and that's the keyword, one of the things that we hypothesized was happening was that they would see the ad, not click on the ad, then Google the keyword from the ad to go learn more about non-hermetic laser packaging outside of the context of my marketing. And so we started paying a lot of attention to even key, where, where there were keywords, where traditionally in, in the inbound where you're optimizing, you know, with a mix between, you know, what can you actually rank for and where can you get volume of traffic? You know, we we actually didn't really care what the volume of traffic was around those those searches because we knew that people would be looking for them after they had seen our ads, or at least that was our hypothesis. So, so we certainly started building uh, an inbound strategy around words that we wanted to be known for in the market, so that when the audience searched for it, we'd be found. Because a big part of what we're trying to do is establish a presence and establish credibility. And in the mind of the buyer, whoever ranks first on Google, or at least ranking on the page in Google, conveys some level of presence and credibility. So if we have a topic that we're trying to be known for, and when you search it, you don't find us, uh, then we diminish our credibility. So, so to that extent, in the context of what I'm doing, we certainly have been thinking about inbound in the context of ABM. But but a a firm that's not the firm I work for today can still absolutely have inbound strategies and account based strategies working somewhat in parallel or even disparately. You know, doesn't they don't necessarily have to be in parallel, but they certainly can be. I think pretty much any marketer will tell you that being findable on the internet is crucial. So I think I think inbound is is definitely a, a very relevant and very important part of what a marketer should be doing. So let's 
let's move over to account-based marketing. As I said, uh, in the beginning, we really want to dive into how to get started with account-based marketing. With ABM being much more focused, how do you identify your target audience for your ABM campaign? So this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about a fundamental shift in how in how you do you know how you do your marketing. You know, in the in the context of, of inbound, for example, a marketer can easily do the analysis of what keywords do I need to rank for and get after that. But in the context of ABM, where you're trying to pick your accounts and that account-based targeting, a marketer is not well served picking that list in a vacuum. Uh, you, you really should be thinking more holistically uh, at your company about who you're picketing and why you're picking them. And sometimes you can't, sometimes the marketer's got to just go do it. But ideally, you, you're working with your sales partners, uh, depending on what you're trying to do. Also, potentially, you know, the, the service org or the customer service org, depending on what your tactics are. But you're, you're trying to get a cross-functional look at which accounts should you be targeting. So there's kind of two ways that I've done this. And one way, uh, when I very first started with, with this, we have we had a very established vertical with an established sales team and a very well known and defined uh, total addressable market, which at the time we thought was something like 45 accounts. So it was perfect for for ABM. And we sat down with the sales leader and said, "Who are the most important accounts for you to penetrate this year?" And the sales leader just rattled them off basically, and and we captured that. And over time, we refined that, we added some, et cetera, but it started almost entirely on that scenario with, with the sales team telling me who their accounts were. And that made sense in that vertical because the world of that vertical is very clearly defined and very known to sales. You know, and the, other, the alternative is, for me, was we had no established sales team at all. It was a brand new vertical and a brand new product, and we didn't even necessarily know which sub-vertical uh, made the most sense within the, our food and beverage vertical. So um, it was much harder to uh, pick a list because there was no pre-existing list. And in that scenario, my, my, I guess my number one uh, advice is to start simple uh, because as much as ABM is new to the marketer in many cases, it is totally new to the sales team in more cases. And so overkilling the, the theory behind ABM and the process of picking accounts and ideal customer profiles and all that, all that jazz, you know, can be very overwhelming to, to a sales team who doesn't know anything about it. So I was very focused on simplifying the account selection process. Uh, and getting started and then growing it from there. So in that case, um, we took very simple firmographic uh, characteristics, which basically came down to, depending on the sub-vertical, you know, a revenue count or an employee count or a store count or something like that to get us started so that we could narrow narrow down. But um, But in both cases, it's important to be aligned with sales before you start to understand, you know, who you're going to target and why you're why you're targeting them, and have everyone on the same page. So, in order to develop your target list, you just said rather start simple than kind of overcomplicating it because 
you need to bring the sales team on board and, and they probably understand don't understand it very well what you what you're planning to do what what are the information that you should have at a minimum about your your target in order to later on also do personalization and and, and build target list yeah that's a great question I think in the context of this conversation, it's probably best to take it out of the abstract and go just go very specific. So I, I'll just drill straight into uh, one vertical, which was our food and beverage vertical, mm-hmm. and get a little bit into how how it started and where we took it. And you know, in that in that case, and I'm gonna have to take a step back to answer this question. But in that case, we had a new product that was new to the world that had some very strong features that we thought. Uh, lined up very well with with some pain points, but the pain points changed a bit from sub-vertical to sub-vertical, and we didn't really know which ones were going to be the most valuable. So we we started, and I'm a big fan of doing this, uh, very broadly and picked nine, nine sub-verticals, and we basically picked the top 100 accounts based on some kind of firmographic volume data, like like revenue or employees or, or store count or something, and just and just turned on all nine sub-verticals at 100 accounts each um, and started running value prop-based messaging for those sub-verticals to start listening to how accounts were engaging with the content. And so that was where we started because we just didn't know. So we, we needed to get basic things like what are the match rates like and how, how what kind of coverage can I get in accounts and how accessible are the role types that we're after and we really just didn't know and so by casting a wide net like that it helped us hone in on which sub verticals were even viable sub verticals to target or or maybe not even viable but which ones we should focus on so within the space of three months we were able to cut it from nine verticals to five and then within three months of that, we cut it to three because we had a very clear understanding of who was engaging and how well we were able to engage them. But in the process of doing that, um, back to being simple, because because I didn't know where, where it was going to go when we got started, really all you have to have to start is the name of the account and the domain of the account. And you can start, uh, well, at least for what I'm doing, because you can start your targeting around the name of the account and the domain of the account. And so, and I think, and, and this is in the context of food and beverage, we did it a little bit differently in opto and, and healthcare and life science. But uh, but literally, I just Googled top 100 C stores, top 100 arenas, top 100 grocery stores, and started compiling list because I knew that at the end of the day that wasn't going to be my actual list but what I wanted was something to start with to start collecting the analytics on how 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 these verticals compare to each other in their engagement and which ones are going to be more accessible and also to start testing value prop messaging from sub verticals to sub vertical to see which ones were having or were resonating the best so it was very basic on what we knew about the accounts to start that because we needed to go kind of a level up from account to even even look at sub verticals. And then once we got into that, uh, we started tracking um, on individuals. We started tracking you know role types that were engaging and uh, departments that they were in that were engaging. 
and, and splitting out the tactics by department and role type to understand a little bit better. But, uh, but at the account level, the data expanded a little bit into geographics um, beyond the thermographics and the geographics. Um, and some of the messaging that we started testing, especially in healthcare, I know I tried to keep, I'm trying to keep it to food and beverage, we started looking at like psychographic segmentation. So like risk or early adopter or, you know, risk aversion or early adoption or different things like that in playing around with the messaging to segment, um, you know, our content and our, and our messaging in that way too. So, so it's it's kind of at that point at that point of what we were doing just trying to get started we were mostly looking for best fit best fit sub verticals for for a ABM uh, targeting I guess to, to be able to kind of hone in on which which verticals we were going to be able to target. In order to make those decisions, in order to to fine tune who you're actually talking talking to, and uh, who the more valuable sub verticals are, for example, data collection organization of the data is really important. Yeah, do companies need specific tools to collect data and prepare for ABM campaigns, or, or can they just go with the tools that they should probably have, the likes of Google Analytics, etc.? Oh, that's a great question. And one of the big, one of the big learnings that I got out of doing this, this was, this was for me, was when I started, I had four or five data vendors that I was pulling from. And when I got done, I, I now am of the belief that if you can get by with one data vendor versus four or five data vendors, that even if the one data vendor isn't as good as the five were by themselves kind of coming together the one makes it so much faster and cleaner uh to operate that it saved has saved me a ton of time and i, I should also say that our all of this phononic is a one-man show in terms of abm it's, it's just me i have a ton of vendor partners that help me execute but it's just me so i'm very focused on time you know how i'm I, I almost don't care at all about budget i shouldn't say that but uh, i care about time and and what's going to get me there the fastest because we're trying to grow the re the company as fast as possible and i only have so much time in my day and so when you're sourcing data you know even if you're doing what i'm doing and and googling top 100 or if you're buying it from from listeners which i've used like Don Bradstreet or, or Definitive Healthcare or Zoom Info or there's a number of different or some of the niche publications where you go buy it from. It becomes really tricky to marry all that data together if you don't have sophisticated like master data management to marry it all together and you start relying on some of the unique identifiers that exist in the data from system to system, like the DUNS number or the definitive ID number or the Zoom info ID or, or whatever the case. And as, if you're sucking in data from all these sources, it, it can be, it can be the, the, the added value of the niche data starts to uh, diminish uh, with the added time and the marginal effort it takes to marry it all together and actually action on that data. And so if you've got staff or you've got technology to help you uh, merge all that data together, then good for you. But if you don't, uh, you know, and you get to scale across, you know, I guess at our peak this year, we were targeting 3,200 accounts. 
think we're somewhere at like 1,800 accounts right now, and it kind of it fluctuates for many reasons. But uh, when you when you've got that much data flowing through, you don't want to be worried about duplicates, you know, or or just bad data in your system. But in general, from a systems perspective, I'm using Salesforce to to house the account data, and uh, and I was using a couple different dedupe tools like like CloudDingo and some other stuff too to help me stay on top of the deduplication. But at the end of the day, it just got a lot simpler when I just went to one data vendor and used that one data vendor's uh, unique identifier to basically master the data. And I have a pretty deep understanding of MDM from a prior life, master data management. So, so I'm fairly familiar with the, the, the challenges and rewards of, a, a, of MDM, but MDM is not a small project and master data management is not a small project and I don't have time for that. So, so, I mean, having a CRM to house the data is, I mean, you almost, it's almost table stakes to have a CRM as, as a business, but um, highly recommend a CRM to, to manage your data. And, uh, and then having a good master data management plan, like what is the, the unique identifier that you're going to use to marry all these accounts together and in the world of ABM, a safe one is web domain, you know, because there's only one company that belongs to a web a website. Uh, but if, if you need to, you can go that route. But having uh, unique identifiers out of a data vendor makes it simpler, especially because at some point it moves beyond account data and you need individual data. And getting individual data is much harder to do mapped back to a web domain you know, for example, like even email domains don't always match web domains, you know, because sometimes they're different. So it's it's very difficult to map a person to an account um, when you don't have a reliable unique identifier. So as you're as you're either sourcing data or, or enriching data from, from other platforms, um, having multiple sources adds that complexity. So all I said, I would say simplifying where you source your data and having a, uh, a single source of truth like a CRM to house that data is, is very important in the context of, of ABM mm -hmm. at scale. We talked about how to define uh, the target audience, how to develop a target list. Let's talk about content for the campaigns. From your experience, what kind of content is most successful or does it depend on what, what tactic, what channels you're using? Uh, well, I, I call me an idealist, but I think everything depends. Uh, you know, it all depends. But what I will say that's most important and, the, and that, that I have learned over the last two years or so of doing this is our process, the process that we use is we have a, we have a campaign brief, not, not that groundbreaking that says, here's who we're targeting, here's what we're selling, here are the pain points, here are the accounts, here are the campaign metrics that we're trying to hit. Yeah, but what's different is that uh, before we move anything past brief, we review the brief with the, our sales partners and sales signs off on it. So they sign off on, here's how many uh, accounts we're going to engage, and here's the conversion metrics we're hunting for, and here's how many wins we want to get from this campaign. So they are part of that decisioning, and they are part of, here are the value, here's the value prop and the positioning points, and here are the products we're pushing for this for this campaign, they are part of that before we ever even move out of the initial planning. And then after that, we adhere to a pretty strict uh, buyer journey mapping process 
that says, okay, well, for these, for this product, these pain points, and this sub vertical, and and these, and these uh, buyer personas, you know, what what content do we need to create for awareness, for preference, or, or for education, for preference, for intent, and uh, and sometimes maybe uh, post purchase, we'll, we'll have some content too, and so we we run through and swim lanes by the by identified persona or department, you know, okay, well, here's what the audience is thinking about in awareness, here's what they're thinking about with education, here's what they're thinking about preference, here's what they're thinking about intent. And we go through all that independent of any medium or any tactic or, or any form factor, it's just what are they thinking about? And after, after we're addressing what they're thinking about, what is the, the, intended, the intended response to that content? And we go through all of that before we before we plan anything. And once marketing has done that, we then go back to sales and we run sales through it. It's like, is this really how your customers think? And they go through and say yes or no, or this is right, or tweak that, or whatever. So before we ever pit, begin writing anything or or planning any tactics, sales again comes back to the table and says, yes, we agree. Yes, this is the right way to approach it. Yes, you should create this. And then we also prioritize based on what they need. Well, I really need this technical document and preference now, or because we don't have anything. And so, you know, we might prioritize a content, uh, the content in the different buying stages based on what is needed the fastest, or maybe we identify three things that would be awesome for awareness, but we really only need one to get started. So the big change was for me has been sales buying in and signing off on what we're going to do and what we're going to make before we even start uh, and then and then building in and then typically depending on depending on what the buyer is thinking about and what they need to be informed of at whatever stage maybe that fits in an infographic maybe that fits in a video maybe that fits in a white paper you know whatever the case and then if it's an infographic then maybe that fits for LinkedIn. And if it's a video, maybe that, you know, you know, that's kind of how we're thinking about it. And so, so usually I let the buyers, the buyers need define what the content will be. And, and then what the content needs to cover defines what type of asset it is and what type of asset it is defines what type of tactic we would run for that asset. So it's very much stemming from, how we think our customers are thinking about our solution. Earlier, you mentioned DSPs or demand side platforms to run display activities. Which other channels are a natural fit for ABM campaigns and why? So, I would, about, about ABM, I always basically say imagine if you could say exactly what you want to the exact account you want, with the exact role you want, exactly when you want, exactly the way you would want to say it. I mean, that's basically what technology can do for you now. And so what would your win rate be if you could say exactly what you want every single time to exactly who you want to say it to? Is this how I typically explain it to, to, a, to a sales partner who's never heard of this? And so that's one of the reasons why display, a programmatic display makes uh, work so well because you really can say it to the exact account and the exact role exactly you know how you want to say it, when you want to say it, et cetera so um, 
So typically, like like you already said, we do the advertising, which which includes the retargeting and, and some of the social based advertising as well. Um, and then usually we layer on heavily personalized small batch email emailing, you know, where we have a lot of uh, rules around, you know, uh, how many emails get sent to an account over what period of time and, and how personalized, how many, I guess, factors of personalization there are. And usually there's four or five and, and it's very, and who is it even coming from, et cetera. So there's a lot of thought around the personalization of the emailing. And then, then there's generally speaking a SDR or calling outbound calling, uh, element kind of, at, at the peak of engagement, there's some calling that gets triggered off. And then within that, we do do like webinar type activity where we target specific accounts and invite them to webinars and have had success. And we do do a lot of event activity where the marketing is trying to get people to uh, basically sign up for appointments to meet with our people at different events. But it's all it starts with a target account list and looking for what events they're going to and then targeting them. So it's, it's still a very ABM centric thing, but, but usually there's some event, some, some webinar type activity kind of augmenting the calling and the emailing and the advertising. And we do a lot of content on first party research, uh, a lot of PR um, that we do like media. Uh, we, we released a couple of like first party, um, Ebooks, uh, like research in the market, ebooks and things like that, to to inform the audience. Um, so we make a lot of original content uh, to do that. But that's typically what we're playing with: um, a fair amount of press and media, a fair amount of email and calling and advertising, and then and then peppering the events in. And some of that actually, and then, and then the organic around it, and some of that actually flows backwards from, we have a fairly involved campaign planning process that starts like like this, like 2020's planning is starting uh, next, next month in September. So, and we look at what are the hard dates on the calendar, which could be like National Ice Cream Month, because that's relevant to us, but it could also be you know, uh, uh, I mean, the NACS, the National Associated Convenience Stores um, trade show, you know, so we put all the hard dates on the calendar and then we work backwards from that for like blog topics and editorial content. And then that stuff gets fed into campaign briefs because we know it's coming. And, and you know, so so a lot of the reason why we use events and NPR in the ABM is because it's all flowing backwards from this kind of master orchestration around around what's relevant in the industry and what we think our our buyers are thinking about you know so but that's typically the mix that we're using we talked about channels now at, at any point obviously marketers need to evaluate uh, the success of a marketing campaign whether it's abm or any other marketing campaign what are the kpis you recommend to a company that they should look at to determine whether the ABM campaign is successful and what adjustments they need to make? That's a great question. It's also a loaded question because it depends a lot on where you are organizationally in your ABM journey. And one of the biggest challenges that I think marketers face is that when you switch from a high volume lead gen approach, where you're used to having my target this year is 10,000 leads or, or whatever it is, when you switch from that to an ABM approach and you say, my target this year is 100, 
you know, and you go from a thousand to a hundred or whatever, that is a very difficult uh, concept to pass along up the chain, so to speak, you know, and I think there is, there is a lot of education that has to be done around the quality versus quantity shift in thinking to be able to pass that shift up the chain, so to speak. And so you find marketers who are somewhere in between a high volume and an ABM set of metrics making their way down that path. But, you know, for me, and one of the things you commonly hear, and I hear this all the time, is that, you know, the alignment, sales and marketing alignment is crucial for ABM and it starts with aligning your metrics. And that's what you hear a lot. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, I do agree with that, but, but organizationally at like the P&L level, getting alignment on metrics is extremely difficult, which is one of the reasons why we move the alignment of metrics to the individual campaign briefs and we do recurring uh, reviews of the campaigns with sales to see where we're doing against those targets. And some, some of our verticals are more religious than others at doing that, but that's the intent. And so, you know, aligning on, and I say all that to say that it comes down to, in my opinion, what is the ultimate deliverable from marketing to sales? Like, what is the unit of output from marketing to sales? And depending on how your organization looks at that and how, you know, where sales development reps and stuff like that report up to and, and how many sales guys you have, et cetera, and how, how soft or firm of a lead you, you're, you're delivering, um, it, the answer changes a bit. But for me, the output of sale, of marketing to sales almost always is, or at least has definitely evolved to be a date and time appointment from a qualified contact at a qualified account. And so if marketing can deliver a date and time appointment onto sales's calendar, and we do that through Calendly, from a target account and a, and a pre-qualified role at that account who says, I wanna to talk to you at this day, this time, then marketing has delivered its value to to sales, you know, from a demand gen perspective. And so, so a lot of what I'm after is trying to up the output of those appointments. And, and uh, you know, so that's, that's how I'm basically measuring my output. And there's kind of, there's tertiary benefits, I guess, of, of that you can measure along the way, but, but that's what I'm trying to deliver. And, but ultimately, you also need to know, okay, well, what was the success rate of those appointments and how many opportunities were generated and what was the win rate on those opportunities and, and what influenced that, et cetera. And you can get, you can get down a, a long rabbit hole on that. But ultimately, what is the output that sales wants to receive from marketing? And you might have different outputs for different sales teams, but having alignment on what that output is that they want to actually receive and having as close to a uniform definition of that as possible so that you can gear up your marketing factory, so to speak, to deliver those units of demand as best as, as best as, and as efficiently as you can, I think is crucial. And then the levers that I'm pulling on the marketing side of the fence are, okay, well, I know who I want to target or do I know who I want to target? So if, if, you're, if your goal is to have 100 targets, do you have 100 targets? And now that you have those 100 targets, well, how many of them are you actually able to target? Like, because you have uh, access to that account from contact information or domain or cookie or whatever. So let's say you wanna have 90, 98 of those 100 that you're able to actually go get your message in front of. And then from that, 
well, how many of those are engaging with your content? And let's say you want to have 95 of those, you know, engaging with your content. And then of that, you start looking at, well, who is engaging and at what level? And we use aggregate lead scoring that rolls up to the account level to give account scores based on all these activities to show which accounts are most engaged. And then we start, you know, and that, that list might change daily of who's most engaged. And so you have this, this pack of accounts that are kind of shifting in their order of engagement at the top of the list. And then you're trying to pick off the engaged accounts with other activities, namely calling is what I'm doing, but we also use emailing, you know, because they've achieved some level of engagement and you're trying to basically siphon them off of the, of the engaged account list and into your funnel. And so you're starting firing off tactics to siphon those off and then get them into your funnel. And a lot of times my challenge is around, okay, now I know this account is engaged and I start seeing who's engaged in these accounts and what they're looking at, but how do I get the sales team actioned on that as efficiently as possible to take advantage of all that data? And so you start you start measuring, you know, are, are you getting them over to sales and are, are they converting from, from a lead to an opportunity or, or whatever the case? And you start um, executing different things on that. So, so generally speaking, I mean, I, I'm trying to make sure I have a, the maximum level of ability to, to actually engage them and then maximize how many are engaging and then maximize, you know, the speed at which the, the engaged accounts make it off of the marketing list and onto the, the sales list, so to speak, and then the rate at which sales is able to to convert those to actual opportunities in the system and so on down the funnel. Daniel, thank you for joining me. It's again, been a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> like last time, I still have a number of questions here, but thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on account-based marketing. If, if people want to get in touch with you, want to find out more about you, how can they do that? The best way to get me is on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm always sharing and talking a lot about ABM on LinkedIn. It's, it's something I'm passionate about. So you definitely get me on LinkedIn. And I'm also on, uh, on Twitter, but LinkedIn is my space. Wonderful. Thanks everyone for listening. If you like the Performance Delivered podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.